Week 1, Day 4, The Promised Son. I'm Larry Vold, and I'm pastor of spiritual care here at Three Crosses. Reading from Psalm 2, 7-12. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Yesterday, Randy spoke about how God laughs and scoffs as the nations conspire against God's anointed king. Today we begin to understand why God's response seems so flippant. Psalm 2 continues to cast a vision to its reader about a future day when the anointed Messiah vanquishes all of God's enemies and reestablishes forever his rule over the whole world. In other words, the wicked will become like chaff and be blown away. It's hard to imagine a day when humanity's pride and arrogance will no longer dominate the world in a way it has ever since Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. Truly, in a day that's coming, Messiah will rule them with an iron scepter and dash them to pieces like pottery, as Psalm 2.9 says. Indeed, the Psalm's vision will one day become a reality. Imagine a world where all its kingdoms and people offer willing submission and exaltation to the one true king. We all long for that kind of world. It's almost impossible to envision this considering the blatant and determined rebellion of humanity toward God we see all around us. Even with the knowledge that we're not alone, that we have brothers and sisters of faith in the one true God, it seems that our world is completely indifferent to the rule of God. More than being indifferent to God's rule, there exists everywhere, it seems, a clear opposition toward any notion that the God of the universe deserves unfeigned submission and allegiance. The nations of our world laugh and mock at the notion of a kingdom ruled by a God that can't even be described in Psalm 2, 1-3. But this current climate of ungodly hubris will one day give way to the whole earth being filled with the glory of God during his reign. While it seems impossible that the evil that permeates our world today will ever be vanquished, the vision of Psalm 2 reminds the reader exactly what the future holds. In the middle school I attended in the early 1970s, there was a small but determined group of boys who loved terrorizing their fellow classmates and even some teachers. It seemed that no one knew how to stand up against the bullying and intimidation for which this little band of rebels had become known. They felt an unusual freedom to exercise their antics in my fifth grade woodshop class because our teacher was a quiet and gracious man who seemed unable to control them. They enjoyed sneaking into the classroom during lunch and before the other students and teacher arrived so they could create mayhem without discovery. They loved taking other students' wood projects out of the storage bins, damaging them before returning them to their proper place, only to watch with glee when the student whose project was destroyed discovered what happened. They repeatedly got away with this until that unforgettable day. 
Mr. Haley, the school's vice principal and disciplinarian, was obviously fed up with the arrogance and bad behavior of these students. I'm confident that there had been plenty of warning given them leading up to this day that obviously went unheeded. On that unforgettable day, Mr. Haley slipped into our classroom just after the lunch period began and hid in a locker where he could see what might transpire. As expected, these ruffian boys came in to go about their dastardly mission, only this time they were caught in the very act. I happened to walk into the classroom the moment Mr. Haley came bursting out of the storage locker where he had been secretly observing the terrible behavior of these kids. His face was beet red, his eyes were bulging, and the veins in his neck were popping out as he quickly neutralized the threat. (laughs) For me, that moment was both the most terrifying and satisfying experience I had had in my middle school years. That day, the true and rightful authority was reestablished and the rebels were subdued and punished. That day, I gained a new appreciation for Mr. Haley's authority over the student body and how in one single act, my universe as a middle schooler was restored. While it seems impossible that our world will ever have a similarly quick and resolute change in our present climate of ungodliness and rebellion toward God, Psalm 2 guarantees it. In fact, followers of Christ know that the plan is already in motion. The Messiah whom Psalm 2 speaks of as the king who is installed by God, verse 6, would in fact come to his people, be born of the virgin, and as the descendant of King David, he would be declared the king whose kingdom would never end, as Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 says. He is the rightful king. Believers in Jesus recognize him as the king, the Messiah, the anointed of God. These terms refer to the king at the time and the king that was to come. Psalm 2, 7 declares, quote, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father, end quote. The gospel writers affirm the messianic fulfillment of Psalm 2 when recording the inexplicable declaration of God the Father pronouncing his love for his son and the pleasure he took from seeing Jesus begin his public ministry at his baptism. Quote, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. End quote. Matthew 3, 17. Psalm 2 is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament, and rightly so. The promise of the coming Messiah and his future rule over the entire world is the central theme of Scripture. His first coming wasn't understood to include his death and resurrection, which then gave way to his exaltation to the heavenly throne of God and subsequent kingly rule over humankind. However, believers today revel in these tandem truths of our Messiah's humility and sacrifice in his first coming while we await the glorious kingdom he will establish at his second coming. This second coming of Christ envisions a time when all the inhabitants of the earth, kings and nations, and every people group over the whole world will be Messiah's inheritance, his very possession. It is the right of royal sons to ask their fathers for the kingdom to be expanded. Here in Psalm 2, the father invites the son to ask of him for the nations of the world to become his and thus to rule over them, ushering in an era of true peace and harmony the world is waiting for. 
The psalmist reminds the reader that this transition of power and dominion that is coming will not be embraced by the rulers of the earth. The prophetic books of the Bible predict a determined, though foolish, resistance when Messiah comes again to rule the world. The opening words of Revelation 19 offer a prophetic window into the dramatic and climactic moment the world will experience when the true king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords comes to reign on the earth. John records this amazing revelation, and I quote, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation 19, 11 16. You see, in Christ's coming, he will subdue all rebels and destroy all enemies who oppose him, striking them with the sharp sword of his mouth and ruling them with an iron scepter just like Revelation 19.15 says. A timely warning is therefore given to the kings and rulers of the earth here in Psalm 2. Be wise, be warned, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. That's Psalm 2, 10 and 12. It's incredible to consider that ever since the day this psalm was written, All rulers and kingdoms are without excuse, having been given fair warning to repent of their evil practices and their rejection of truth so as to escape the coming wrath. God's gracious warning found in Psalm 2 is, at the same time, a loving invitation for humbly submitting now to this King of glory. Yet this humble submission is not something we observe today among our world's leaders, is it? Arguably, it's an understatement that the kingdoms of the world and their leaders have altogether refused to turn from sin and wickedness and instead offer honor and true deference to Jesus Christ, God's anointed. And until or unless they do, they are storing up wrath for themselves on the great and terrible day of judgment when Messiah comes to take his rightful throne. Over this past year, a worldwide pandemic has ravaged our world, bringing sickness, loss, a broken economy, uncertainty, anxiety, and even death to millions of people. There has never been, at least in our lifetime, a time when the whole world realized its need for hope. And yet, I see no evidence that the world recognizes that Jesus Christ alone can provide this hope. We realize that our world will likely remain a place where evil things that the pandemic revealed about humanity will persist even after it is past. That's because we know that the problem of all humanity is its sinful rebellion against God. And we also know that the only true hope and lasting change we can long for can only come through Jesus Christ and his establishment of his kingdom on earth. How long will the world continue in its unbelief in Jesus Christ? Whenever I read this psalm, 
And as you continue to work through this series, it reminds me of a few practical things I can daily do to help prepare myself and those around me for Jesus' return. Let me offer four postures of prayer. First, I should pray daily for God's kingdom to come, as Jesus instructed his disciples in Matthew 6. Praying this way will keep my mind and attitude focused on the reality that Psalm 2 promises, and it will help me engage in ways to bring God's kingdom to those around me. Things like loving people sincerely and ministering to the poor and marginalized, standing up for justice and helping others whenever I can. And most of all, telling as many people as I can about the good news that all sin can be forgiven through placing faith in Jesus Christ and his work of redemption when he died for us on the cross and then rose victoriously from the dead. Second, I can rejoice that I serve under the reign of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. As his subject, I can serve him with complete abandon, knowing that he will use me as he desires for his glory. My job is to obey whatever he tells me to do. And as I do this, I model for others what it means to be subject to the one true king. Third, I can pray for the governments and nations of our world to conform their national policies and care for their people to reflect God's kingdom values. While it may seem futile to do this, we can ask, along with our Messiah Jesus, for God to give him the nations as an inheritance before his return. This is at the heart of global missions. Lastly, I can pray for those in our world who are living under the rule of wicked and godless leaders. There are many nations of the world where our brothers and sisters in Christ are being persecuted and even martyred for their faith in Christ. I pray for the leaders of these nations to be converted by the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's not lose heart, brothers and sisters. Our King is coming. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 2, verse 12.